Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. So as uh, as Ben said, we are in a series about making sense of life and I get to unpack one for you tonight. So how about we pray and then we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you tonight for all that you are and all that you've done in our lives. And tonight, Father, we just sort of bring all we are, all the broken bits, all the bits and pieces and ask that tonight you will start to put together a life that brings glory and honour to you. And we pray that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Right. I'm going to begin tonight by asking a question. And um, actually, I'm going to get you to ask the person next to you. Is that all right? Just say yes, because that's going to help me. If you say yes. All right. Good. So talk to the person next to you. And I want, you've got 20 seconds, 10 seconds each. And I want you to tell the person next to you the very first word or picture or idea or thought that comes into your mind when I say the word beauty. Go. You've got 20 seconds. First word. Okay, swap. Tell the next, tell other person turn. Very first word. Excellent. Okay, we didn't want to take too long because we just want that first idea, that first word. The chances are that when I ask that question, one of your five senses kind of kicked in because that's how we operate, right? One of the five senses. For example, how many of you thought about something that you feel like a beautiful, like patting a cat or a dog. How many of you thought about something that you taste, something you might be eating right now? Um, that you, any, like I tell you, thought of something that was like a nice meal or something? Nobody. This is going really badly. Um, what about something you smell? Like a perfume, flower? Nobody. Now, I'm not surprised by that. One person, I think. I'm not surprised by it. Two people. <laughs> Very good. I'm not that surprised because... Only about 3% of our brain capacity is taken up processing those three, those three things. So there's the other two that are left. First of all, what about sound? Who thought of a beautiful song that we just heard? Something beautiful, sound, nobody. This is just going in a heap. That's because it's about another 3%. Who thought of something they saw or looked at? That's Because that's what happens. Um, about 90% of our brain capacity goes with the vision. Now, some of you didn't put your hand up probably because you looked at the person next to you and got a date or something like that straight away. You just went, oh, God, that person next to me is really beautiful. So um, for me, when I, when I thought about this, the, the first, well, the second thing that came to me was the sound because being a mus- musician, I love beautiful music, but the moment the sound that actually captures my imagination and gets me going is my grandson. I've got a seven-month-old grandson, and he goes and gars and tries to communicate, and, um, and he's, he's, uh, he also blows raspberries in his sleep, and at the moment, he's learned how to cough, and he thinks he's the funniest thing on the planet, so he coughs and then smiles. So that's music to my ears in one sense, but the very first thing when I thought this through was that I thought about my wife. Oh, that's about 20%. I thought about my wife. Aww. Okay, thank you for that unsolicited response. And more specifically, I thought about the very, very first time I met her because that's when her beauty struck me. It makes sense, doesn't it? And it was an unusual situation because 
I was catching up with a really, really close friend, but we kind of lost track of each other and, and we tried to match diaries and he said, the only time I've got available is 9.30 on Wednesday night after Bible study. So I went, all right, that's it. We'll have a quick coffee for 9.30 at night because when you're younger, you can do late nights. I'm usually in bed just after 9.30. Uh, I rock up to his place. All the cars are at the front for the people coming for the Bible study. I pull in the driveway because they're in the park. I go in the back door into his kitchen and because I'm a good friend, I've got fridge rights, I, get, I set out, get a pinch of biscuit or two and uh, make myself a cup of coffee and I can hear them in the lounge room next door and they're sort of closing up their Bible study and praying and saying amen and whatever they do with Bible study. And I'm listening to them leave and I think there's nobody left in the room apart from my friend and his wife. So I've got my coffee mug in hand and I walk from the kitchen around the door into the lounge room and there, standing in the front door, one foot in the front veranda, one foot in the lounge room, screen door open, letting in all the mozzies and the moths, was my, this, the most beautiful creature. I'd ever seen in my life. Oh, golly, you guys, you're a hard audience. Anyway, I was, I, I fell instantly in lust with her, I tell you, basically because I don't believe in love at first sight. So I just went, this is a beautiful woman. And so we got together and 28 years, four kids and a grandchild later, we're still, she's still the most beautiful woman that is I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's getting, it's getting, it's wearing thin, isn't it? All right, it's wearing thin. We, we won't go there anymore. But that, that's true. I, I like, she still is the most beautiful person in my life. But have you ever wondered, why do we lean towards beauty? What is in us that we sort of go, like we want beauty? It sounds like a stupid question to ask, but why do we lean towards beauty? I mean, when it comes to a beautiful meal, who goes into a restaurant and says, I want the worst meal on your menu, take it out and burn it and then I'll be happy? Who says that? Nobody, because we want something that tastes beautiful. We want our senses to be, to be beautiful. Why is that? Have you ever thought about it? I hadn't until I had to preach about it. So anyway, I was thinking, why do we move towards beauty? And I reckon it's simply because God, as Ben just saying, God is beautiful. More than that, he is beauty in and of itself. Because of that, because we... See, I'm not one of those people who believe that we kind of climbed out of the primordial slime and decide to stand up one day and become human. I don't believe in that. If you do believe in that, that's perfectly fine, but I don't. I actually have a higher view of humankind than that. Not superior, just higher. I just don't believe we were that. I just believe we were intricately and intimately made by the fingers of God. He had you in mind when he made you. And more than that, even a higher view than that is that we are made in the image of God. Now, I don't have time to unpack that tonight, but we are made in the image of God and God is beautiful. So he has indelibly printed that. He's etched that into our soul. And because of that, we have this tendency to move towards beautiful because God only does beautiful. He has no capacity to do unbeauty or lack of beauty. All right, so he's, he, he, does, he only does beautiful things in our lives, which should be an encouragement to you because I don't know about you, but I, I can think of plenty of not so beautiful things that have happened in my life. But he only does beauty. In fact, it says in Ecclesiastes 3, around about verse 11, it says, uh, God has made, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything, in fact, 
in the original language, that word everything, you know what it means? Everything. On the outside and on the inside. Everything that God has made with his fingers intimately and intricately is full of beauty. Now, the problem is quite often is that unbeauty enters our lives. Now, we expect it in those five senses, especially most of you who put your hands up for what you can see. We expect it in the senses. We expect, for example, a beautiful meal to finish. Uh, We expect that to happen. We even want some of these things to happen. I mean, my grandson, the sounds at seven months that he's making are beautiful, but if he's still doing that at 17, there's going to be problems, right? We expect it and we want it. We expect to move on. My wife and I were at a funeral uh, about two months ago now and we saw a whole bunch of people we hadn't seen for nearly 30 to 35 years. And I'm telling you, beauty is transient. It doesn't last, (laughs) except with my wife, I've got to say it. Anyway, beauty is transient. It just, there's people going, is that really like... I don't know. They weren't that great. There's only one exception to that. And there was a guy, there was one guy who hadn't changed in 35 years. That's because he looked 65 when he was 30. So he's still, that's another story, true? I mean, um, he, he did. He did. He hadn't changed at all. So we'd, everyone sort of caught up to him. Beauty is transient. Sometimes we want that to happen and sometimes we expect it to happen. Uh, but when it comes to the, the other level of beauty, there's another level of beauty that we're all aware of. It's the level of beauty which includes our soul. It impacts our soul. It's the beauty of a dream and a vision and an aspiration of what could be and what should be in our lives. You might think, oh, I've got, I want to do this in five or ten years' time. And the whole vista and picture opens up to what is beautiful and what could actually be beautiful with that kind of idea and that vision and that hope. Because a vision is a picture of the preferable future. So the preferable future is always going to be beautiful, right? Uh, or maybe it's a relationship. Uh, you might get into a relationship. It could be just a friendship. It doesn't have to be a future partner or whatever. It can just be a friendship and, and uh, could be between a parent and a child. It could be any sort of relationship at all. And you want, desire and expect that to be beautiful. You expect it to start and finish with the beauty in it. Or maybe it's, it's the beauty of a relationship that you have when you first become a follower of Jesus, if that's you tonight, there's a beauty that's inherent in that and you're on fire and you just, you know, you just want to do anything you for God and you, I, I don't know, that was my experience anyway. And yet what happens or what can happen over time is that beauty can take a hammering. Beauty can take a bit of a beating. It can get dented. And so what was beautiful becomes unbeautiful, not ugly, but unbeautiful. In other words, a lack of beauty because the relationship you started with that person many, many years ago, all of a sudden, you know, he says something, she says something and uh, something's misunderstood here, something's misunderstood there. We get caught up in work. We get caught up with whatever it might be. And all of a sudden what began as beautiful has now got gone a little pear-shaped. Or maybe it's a vision or a picture of what you wanted to be or what you wanted to do or maybe that has happened and then one thing led to another, led to another, led to another and then that picture has been crushed and broken. In fact, you have been crushed and broken because that picture didn't eventuate. Or maybe it's that uh, wonderful, exciting um, 
relationship that you started with Jesus. And then maybe you didn't get a prayer answered in the time span you wanted, or maybe God didn't answer the prayer like you thought he should or would or could, or maybe things didn't work out. And I mean, maybe it's just the busyness of life. Maybe there's the distractions, whatever it might be. And that spiritual life is that once it was like this burning, blazing fire for your relationship with God is now this flickering flame, this like pilot light that threatens to go out. Maybe that's you. And so when you go in the, when you're in these situations and you're feeling down and feeling, oh, I don't know, just dented and beaten and unbeauty has entered into your life, what do you do with that? Is there any hope for us? I want to suggest there's a lot of hope for us. We go through life and we're just saying, is God going to do, can God do anything? I want to go to a passage that shows, or a story if you like, that shows that God can do extraordinary things in the person's life. It's in the book of John, because we're going through the book of John, and it's a story you're probably going to be familiar with. It's a story that is a, that takes up the third day when Jesus has gone to the cross, he's died, he's been buried, and now it's the third day. And there's a bunch of people, a bunch of characters in this story. I'll just let you know who they are so... You won't be surprised when they come up. First of all, there's the uh, the Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter was the lead disciple and uh, he kind of was the spokesperson for the 12 disciples. He's in the story. There's John, who's the best friend of Jesus. He's actually right. He's an eyewitness. So he sees this and he writes down what he sees. So he's writing this in his gospel. And then there's a lady called Mary Magdalene. I want to circle back to her in a minute. Mary Magdalene, who's one of the famous Marys out of the Bible. And then there's a couple of angels. It's always got to be an angel and a good, good story, isn't there? And then, of course, there's Jesus. I want to circle back to Mary before we move on. Mary Magdalene, you see, had had some of these issues in her life. She knew what it was like to be battered and bruised and broken, but also to experience out of unbeauty, to experience beauty come into her life. For example, Mary Magdalene was a woman who had seven demons cast out of her. So seven demons is a fair amount of unbeauty, yeah? She had seven demons. Now, if you're, you're beginning faith and you're sort of going, oh, I'm just trying to get like God, Jesus, church, and now you're throwing demons into the mix, that's okay. Let's just chill out. Just park demons to the side for the moment. I actually believe they were demons, and it's okay to park them aside. We'll deal with that later. But what you can't deny is the effect that Jesus had on Mary's life. You see, whatever you want to think about it, and I believe, as I said, I believe it was you know, demonic activity that was cast out of her. Whatever happened, Mary experienced from beauty coming from unbeauty. You imagine getting rid of all that demonic activity, all that sickness in your life, however it affected her. And such was the change that Jesus made in her life that she followed the disciples and Jesus around in their ministry for about three and a half years and basically financed all the ministry that they did, paid for meals and lodgings and whatever because she was a person of means. So she's experienced this huge transformation in her life and now she just sort of wants to give back. She could see that this is Jesus is someone extraordinary. Later on, she would have seen plenty of miracles. Uh, we don't know if this is the same Mary, but if, if it is the same Mary, she would have seen her brother Lazarus. If it's the same Mary, there's lots of Marys then in there. But if it's the same Mary, she would have seen Lazarus raised from the dead. There's no, there's no greater unbeauty in life than death. Agreed? 
I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that. And she saw her brother being brought back from unbeauty, from death into life. And then she's the lady who's at the foot of the cross when she sees the one that she's loved so dearly because of what he's done in her life. And now he's being crucified, bleeding to death on the cross for her, for you, for me, for the sins of the world. And all those hopes and dreams and aspirations of that precious relationship is basically dead and gone. And once again, she goes back into this space of unbeauty. She must be wondering, what do you do with that? I've seen what Jesus has done, but then the person who brought beauty in my life, he's now dead and gone. She didn't believe, even though Jesus told them many times, I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried and rise again from the dead. Nobody believed that Jesus was going to rise again from the dead because it just doesn't happen. And so I want to pick up her story because this is now the third day. I want to pick up a story. I think it'll be on the screen behind you. And um, we'll just go through this fairly, we'll move through it quickly. Here we go. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, there's probably some other women. There are some other women who've gone with her on this journey because there's a woman at very early in the morning before the sun's up. You don't want to be walking around Jerusalem by yourself, right? So there's about two or three of them there. So that's she's there um, and she sees the stone rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. That's John. He's the guy who's writing this. They're about a one, and a half K, one and a half to two k's away. And she runs and gets them and says, the one, um, she said, they've taken away the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So straight up, she doesn't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. She's still in grief, man. She's still like everything's gone. Everything's, it's finished. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped, looked in, and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. Probably the first believer is John, the guy who's writing the story. He believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. In other words, there's a whole lot of scriptures in the Old Testament that these guys would have known and they'd never put two and two together to realise that they were speaking about this particular time. In fact, fast forward 50 days when the Holy Spirit comes on all the disciples, all of a sudden Peter gets up and he starts lining it all up. You can read it for yourself in Acts 1, 2, 3, 4. He starts lining all this stuff to say, this is what I said in the Scriptures. Look what happened here. It was Jesus, right? So you can read that for yourself. But they hadn't at this stage aligned those Scriptures with what is actually happening. So then they went home. That's it. One a believer, that's John, Peter, not so sure, but... Mary decides to linger. Why? Don't know. Maybe she had some hope that she'd find Jesus' body. Maybe she started to grieve and this was a place to grieve. I really don't know. But I, what I experience is, is if you linger, if you linger in that space 
and just wait on God, he can bring beauty out of unbeauty. The story I told earlier tonight was a, uh, was a journey of about three decades for me, two and a half to three decades. I used to linger. I wasn't lingering and waiting all that time. I wasn't that aware of that. But when you linger, God begins to do things in your life. Let's pick up Mary's story again. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and she wept. She stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they've put him. Still doesn't believe. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognise him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. And Jesus just has to say one thing. That's her name, Mary. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. And in that moment, once again, Mary Magdalene has gone from unbeauty to beauty because all those things that she was grieving, all those broken pieces are now put back together with this relationship. And she turns and she sees Jesus. Jesus, that's, Jesus is in the habit of doing that. He just likes to put broken lives back together. Someone wrote a song about 50 years ago, uh, over 50 years ago. It's a really old song and I'm not going to sing it to you. It goes like this, and some of you would know this. It says, something beautiful, something good, you know it. Come and sing it. <laughs> All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. And he made something beautiful of my life. Isn't that a great story? That's written from someone who understands what it's like to have a life put back together. Honestly, that's all we have. That's all I have is brokenness and strife. And Jesus can put it all back together and make something beautiful of our lives. There's an old uh, Japanese craft called kintsugi. Anyone familiar with kintsugi? Yeah. So you're familiar with this and you're probably familiar with this analogy. Kintsugi is where the artisan will get a broken piece of pottery and they'll mix gold uh, with a lacquer um, or gold leaf with a lacquer and they put it back together and there's some pictures up there. You get a picture of what it's like. Sometimes it's silver, sometimes it's platinum and they put the bowl back together and it's even more beautiful than the very first time it was ever made. Now, that's a nice picture, isn't it, of what can happen. So a lot of people use that as an analogy as to what God can do in your life. But I've got a few problems with it. Now, let me tell you what they are. First of all, the bowl or plate that's put back together is actually of higher value because it's got gold and silver and whatever. It's actually far more valuable than the original. And I want to tell you very as clearly as I possibly can, you can't be any more valuable than what you are right now. In your brokenness and your confusion and strife, God wants to do something beautiful, right? He, you can't be more valuable. It's impossible because Jesus died for the broken people. That's me. That's you as well. 
So you can't be more valuable. The second thing, and this is probably the most important thing, when the bowl is made, it's usually a work of art, becomes very expensive and people put it on a shelf and they say, you know, stand back and admire it. They don't put their soup in it and heat it up in the microwave, all right? They don't do that. But that's the whole idea of kintsugi is you put, a, put it back into use. But these days it's very, very expensive and they don't get put in, back into use. They're put up on a shelf to be admired and adored and so on. And that's where I have a problem with it because that's not the purpose. That's not the purpose of you being put back together. God actually has a purpose. In fact, that verse that I talked about at the beginning, the Ecclesiastes 3.11, where it says, he has made everything beautiful in its, in its time. That word beautiful is actually, you can actually translate that as appropriate. In other words, the beauty of what God does in your life in its time, in its season is appropriate. It has purpose. You see, when, when Jesus and Mary meet and they have this sort of moment where she goes, oh, Rabboni. I mean, Hollywood would finish it there and the music would swell, the cameras would pan back and the credits would start to roll. That's not how Jesus does stuff in your life. That's not where it finishes. That's not where he's finished with her as well. Let me pick up the next part of her story. It's only short. Have a listen to this. Jesus said, because Mary's just holding on to him, right? Because that's what we like to do. We get in a moment that's beautiful and wonderful and we go from unbeauty to beauty. We just want to hold on to the beauty, don't we? We just get things that we like and we just want, we take a snapshot, a freeze frame of it. We go, look, that's the best art I've ever done. Click Facebook. Oh, that's for old people. Um, what's the other one? Instagram. Instagram. Oh, I do Instagram. Anyway. Um, we just put it up there because it's beautiful. We know it's going to go. Beautiful sunrise. We take a, there's nothing wrong with taking a picture of a beautiful sunrise. I've got about 20,000 pictures of my grandson. There's nothing wrong with that. We like to freeze frame things that are beautiful. God wants to reframe. I'm going to say it again. We like to freeze frame the good times, the beautiful times. And unfortunately, what we do is we tend to freeze frame the bad times as well. That's why we're still going through with hurts and pains and brokenness in our lives because we freeze frame those and we get stuck and we don't move on. I've experienced that myself. So Jesus says, don't cling to me. So Mary's wanting to freeze frame. I don't want to let him go. I lost him once. So I don't want to let him go. That's probably going through her head. But he has a purpose for us. He says, for I haven't... Yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them this message. He has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. Jesus did something beautiful in Mary's life, but he gave her purpose. In fact, Mary is actually known in history as the apostle to the apostles. Right? Because the apostle, apostle just means the sent one. That's all it means, the sent one. In one sense, we're all kind of apostles and small a apostles because we're sent by Jesus to go into the world right? and share our story about him. But she is the first person who was sent by Jesus to tell the apostles that he has risen from the dead. We can get very stuck in unbeauty. 
And we can, we can say, well, you know what? Hasn't really worked out. My plans, my visions, my hopes didn't really work out. I had that experience a number of years ago. I'd, I'd, after a hiatus from faith, I came back to Jesus and, and I was, I was kind of, I had the fire was going. The fire was happening, right? And uh, still is now. But at the time, the fire was happening. And I had a business with my brother and we just wanted to, and I said to God, I just want to build the business and let the business finance me so that I can go and do ministry and I wouldn't be a burden to church and all that sort of stuff. I can just go off and do ministry and, I, and let the business do that. And we were building the business and working hard in the business and for a number of years, it was doing okay as well. And then in the 1990s, yes, I'm that old. In the 1990s, we had the recession we had to have. How many people remember that? And we lost, we lost the business and we lost our homes. And I'm like mid to late 30s and we're ground zero, nothing. I'm going, what? What are you doing, God? Like, I ask God constantly to bless the business so that I can do ministry for him. And, and like, all of a sudden we've lost everything. Uh, it's really funny when I look back on it. It wasn't funny then. But he, he basically said, yeah, that was your dream. It wasn't mine. Wow. <laughs> he said, and I, this took a while to come through me, but he said, uh, you're asking me to bless what you're doing. I want you to do what I'm blessing. You're asking me to bless everything you're putting your hand to. And it's good that you had it in your heart. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But why don't you do what I'm blessing? And over a period of time, a kind of a long time, I'm a slow learner. I learned that. To be involved in what God's doing. Because if I hadn't done that, if he hadn't broken that down, I wouldn't be here talking to you tonight. Now, all of you, every single one of you, probably have at some stage had this brokenness and unbeauty in your life. And I want to encourage you tonight that God wants to bring beauty into your life. He mightn't do it straight away. I've experienced instant relief and release from things in my life. Sometimes he takes a week, a year, two or three decades because he wants you to learn. He wants you to grow. He wants you to journey with him. And tonight, I believe God's speaking tonight, not because of me, but because he's here. We've been worshipping, we've been praying. You brought him with you when you came in. He's in you, yeah? And he wants to do something with you. He never brings you to a service, any service, where he doesn't want you to move from glory to glory and to transform your life. And whether it's through this or despite this or whatever it is, God wants to do something in your life. I'm going to encourage you in a moment to come forward for prayer because that's the nines, that's the first thing. I've come forward for prayer heaps of times. Like, I, you know, wear a trail. I've done that heaps of times before. And this might be an opportunity because taking that first step just says, God, I just, I just want to do something different in my life. I want you to do something different in my life. I want you to bring unbeauty in that relationship. I want to bring beauty back into that relationship. I've lost hope in my son and my daughter, my spouse, my whatever it might be, my friend. I've lost hope and I know you want to do something beautiful there. And I know it might take a week, a year, a decade, but I want you to do something beautiful. Maybe tonight you have a dream like me. I had a dream that was completely smashed and God brought beauty out of that. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've had a dream and you go, that didn't, that didn't go to plan. What are you doing, God? Maybe tonight. You want to come forward and say, okay, I just want to do it your blessing, Lord. I just want to do it your blessing. Will you help me see that? Will you help me begin the journey? It just takes one single step. 
Or maybe you've been on fire for God in the past and now it's kind of the, it's the pilot light that's just helping you hang in there. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt, I've been there, all right? I understand, I get it. Tonight might be the night that you might want to come forward and begin the journey with Jesus. So I'm going to give you something to do in a moment. Can I just ask the worship team to come back on stage and, and prayer team to get ready to come out? You might go, where do I start? What do I do? Where do I start? What do I do? There's a lot of places, a lot of things I could share with you, but one thing has touched my heart in this area, and that is this. Just before he went to the cross, Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it'll bear no fruit. No other seeds, right? No fruit. Unless that happens. Now, he was speaking specifically about him going to the cross, but there's a principle happening here. And the principle is unless we die to our own ability, so, so-called ability, unless we die to what we're trying to do to fix the relationship or fix our relationship, whatever it might be, bring that vision forward. Unless we die to that and say, Jesus, I'm broken. Um, I need you to bring beauty back into my life because you only do beauty. He only does beauty. And if that's you tonight, I'm going to invite you to come forward and just begin that process with God. How about we stand together? Because we're going to worship in a moment. Why don't we all stand and invite the, the prayer team to come forward. If you're a prayer, come forward because, uh, in fact, you can, come, you can come forward at any time and just say, okay, I, I want to begin this journey with Jesus again. Or maybe for the first time, maybe, you're, maybe that's never happened for you. And tonight you go, you know what? I just sense I need to make that decision tonight. Why don't you come forward and just start the journey. Share it with somebody. You don't have to share details. You don't have to do anything like that. All you've got to do is just say, just pray for me. I don't want to tell you what it is. That's okay. Just pray. That's all you really got to do. And I want to invite you as we worship to come forward and begin with these wonderful people out the front. Come and uh, just share your heart with Jesus because He wants to do something absolutely beautiful in your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone who's here tonight. You want to do extraordinary things in their lives, every single one of them. You know, I know so many so many know what it's like to be held back by unbeauty, to be stuck in a place that they wish they could get movement out of. And I pray that tonight that each person will have the wisdom to know what they need to do with you and then have the courage to take that step forward with you, Jesus. And in all that, Lord, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Let's worship. Thanks. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.